listening to Chugga Talk with Ryan Murphy, a podcast by Pull Across Made Simple. Hello, friends. This episode is brought to you by Saucy Farm. Located in Wiggins, Mississippi, they're the premier Australian stock horse stud in North America. Proudly standing are Ballandown Zorro, Hayden Satellite, and Stonebrook Finno. Ballandown Zorro has fresh, cooled semen with a live full guarantee. Hayden Satellite and Stonebrook Finno have a limited supply of frozen semen. Special has been that once-in-a-lifetime voice that people only dream of having. His athleticism, heart, and love for the game are second to none. We've been so fortunate to have him as our own, and a major part of our development as players, as well as horsemen, has most certainly been because of him. He's definitely raised the bar in terms of expectations and standards that we have of our own horses, and how we go about bringing them into the game. Playmate picked up on polo cross so quickly and has been my main playing horse since 2013, carrying me from local and national tournaments to international tours and exchanges. Her athleticism and power, despite her petite stature, blow me away each time I'm able to meet a once turn in the 30 or avoid pressure in the midfield. There's no question about the success of these incredible studs for producing machines on the field, and I look forward to seeing the development of these lines in the future. I'm so happy that the Saucies are continuing the work of Marilyn Murphy in promoting the Australian stock horse, which is truly the breed for every need. Hi, this is Dana Deemer. I and my family own Keystone Silhouette. She's a 15-year-old black Australian stock horse first cross by Ballandown Zorro. I would say the thing that she brings to the table is her incredible athleticism. She has the best footwork coming up to a jump of any horse that I've seen in a long time. She's bold cross country. She's bold in stadium. Saucy Farm and Australian stock horses, a breed for every need. You can find them on Facebook or call 228-263-0930. Are you a polo cross related business? Chucka Talk has a truly global audience. To learn more about advertising here, email me at ryan at polocrossmadesimple.com. Space is limited. Personal fitness is so important in the sport of polo cross. Although we can't all look like Stefan Harris, we could all be working towards our own fitness goals. I've learned through personal experience that having a community of friends that share their fitness and nutrition ideas and activities truly can motivate others to follow suit. A rising tide raises all the ships in the harbor. Please join the American Polo Cross Association's fitness community today on Facebook groups. It's called American Polo Cross Fitness Group. It's hosted by the APA's Player Development Program and open to members worldwide. If you see Steph Harris, please encourage him to join for abs motivation. Again, it's a Facebook group called American Polo Cross Fitness Group. Get pumped. On this episode of Chucka Talk, you'll meet Stacy Upshaw, a U.S. national treasurer. We discuss the family aspect of polo cross, how the Grand Bay Club started, and what keeps it growing and thriving. We discuss the discoveries she makes through the camera lens, her advice on surviving COVID, and much more. Here on Chucka Talk, the goal is to shrink the polo cross world by connecting people together, and most importantly, to provide education by interviewing players from all over the world. So listen closely and enjoy. Hey, Stacy. Hey, I did it. You did it. How are you? All right. Pretty good. Post-vaccine feeling, you know, like I'm up here moving my arm around to get better reception, you know, the microchips. You don't know that conspiracy 
theory that there's microchips from Bill Gates in the vaccine. Oh, no. You don't know that. And I don't know. No, I've, I'm not in the know. I must not be reading the right blog. Sure, you are not, but I'm having to talk to patients. And some of them won't get the vaccine because they believe that Bill Gates put microchips in the vaccine and they're being tracked. Those are oh. saints driving around with you on the road. <laughs> oh, God. Right. You, I'd like to introduce you for everyone that's listening because this is a very important one for me because just because you have so much to offer from your experience. You are Dr. Stacy Upshaw, MD. Not, not to pull across. Like, I don't know that you have to pull that doctor stuff out right now. <laughs> You're an emergency medicine doctor. So you've been in the trenches. You're the mother of two. You have a husband named Roman. He flies plane. Very interesting, successful family. I mean, your son just was the first to get a perfect score in the ACT. So you must be very proud of that. We're incredibly proud of both of those kids. Kids will direct your life in a way you didn't think that you needed direction. Mm -hmm. But as soon as you have children, as my mom said to me, your priorities will suddenly become much more clear. Mm -hmm. And that is certainly true. We were married four years before we had Garrett. Garrett is 18 this year and Joss turned um, 16 in October. So let's talk about the, uh, before we get into Polo Cross, Leah, let's talk about what you're dealing with. As you just said, you just got the vaccine yesterday. I yes, saw your Facebook excited. post and you're feeling very confident and optimistic. I am, Ryan. I'm feeling really confident in the mRNA technology technology. It's not new technology, but this is a different kind of vaccine and not in a bad way, but in a really good way as far as safety profile, efficacy, kind of the, all the misinformation around the vaccine is why I went public. I don't usually go public with my status as a physician on Facebook. I actually was a pretty dedicated Facebook hater and I joined Facebook to start Polo Cross. So wow. when I discovered that I wanted to start a club in my local area, Facebook was beginning to connect equestrians. And I thought, you know, I'm going to probably have to start a Facebook page so that I can get people to understand that I'm hosting events. And so that actually is why I joined Facebook. So for years and years and years, I was careful not to speak of my job just so that the two things didn't really mix. But this year, it has been extremely important for friends and acquaintances to hear, you know, just someone that they know personally so that they can be sure there's no hidden agenda in the information. It's exciting that you got the vaccine. Your perspective there is immense. We, we won't go into any more details about except that it's a great thing and, and you're very confident in where we're headed with the vaccination. I am uh, confident in that something that really is important for people to understand is that the trials were brought to an endpoint, which was set up to determine the benefit to the recipient. So this, this is something people really do need to be clear on is that you're protected. You have antibodies against COVID that help you with symptoms and prevent severe disease. And that was well proven to be a 95% efficacy with two doses of an mRNA vaccine. What the trial did not do because they, they were in, they were trying to get to the endpoint. They did not swab the recipients every day or every week for eight months. They did not do that. And so they cannot 100% prove that you are protected from carrying the virus. So I don't want people to have the idea that if everyone else gets the vaccine, you know, if I get the vaccine, now I can put down my mask and I can go ahead and, you know, lick all my friends. Um, <laughs> we're, we're still going to need to mask in enclosed spaces and we're going to need to practice physical distancing in enclosed spaces and in outside spaces somewhat until we get hopefully a 75% acceptance of vaccination. So really that's important is we don't want people to get the wrong idea because again, then more misinformation gets out there. Um, right. I think there'll be more data on that really soon because now that we have, I think I heard last night that we were approaching a million vaccinations. I mean, that's 
phenomenal. Like in our lifetime, we've never seen anything like this. So I hope that people will ask questions and think with their science brain and not their political brain or whatever other brains sometimes people are using. Um, Check (laughs) with a trusted source. And there are very, very few contraindications to the mRNA vaccine. You are also the current Central Zone Rep of the American Polo Cross Association. We'll get into how you started with Polo Cross and you're, you're a part of a great club. Grand Bay Polo Cross. There's elections coming up and you're leaving office. And we've we've been know. in the trenches. <laughs> we've been in the trenches together fighting battles, trying to prove things for the APA. So sort of as an outgoing message, what would you say that you hope the APA can continue or should start to do more of to grow and, and help the sport? Well, my personal concentration with respect to Polo Cross has always been the family benefit of the game because When I first picked up a racket, I was pretty excited for myself. And then within about a week, Joss, who's now 16, she was eight at the time. She was eight years old. She picked up the racket. And I thought to myself, I don't have to drag these children to a dressage show and have them paint horses for the rest of their lives. I can actually get them doing this even on the ground before they're even on a horse. So for me, from from an APA perspective and from a polo cross perspective in general, the real focus is on doing things with your family and friends. I know that lots of other people in the industry have kind of higher goals, and I think there's room for everybody's goals. But my personal focus is that this be fun, family-based entertainment and participation. As someone who who has raised children to teenagership, uh, I have spent a lot of time in a lawn chair at the sideline of other sports, whether it's soccer or volleyball. But when I go to polo cross, I I can sit in a chair, but you can always find a way to participate. And that's what makes it so amazing as a family experience. So you just hope that we continue to do things to support that family dynamic, develop players, protect the players from themselves, <laughs> which is something we were working on this year with, That's concu- true. with concussion protocol. The whole family dynamic, which I can agree. I, I grew up on a dressage farm. I had all those crazy dressage lessons, real Germans, very, <laughs> very strict, good for me. But I discovered polo cross when I was eight and I've been playing ever since over 30 years now. But yeah, my family was so involved and your kids are already athletes. So this came very natural to them. Outside of your local club, what are some of those family experiences that you've had traveling or just being a part of Polo Cross? Well, you know, we have just been so lucky to connect with people around the country and then even just by forming friendships, connecting with people around the globe. So in 2016, uh, the kids and I were invited to share time with another family and they invited us to come to Australia. So we were there with Kate and David Lyle for several days, just had an amazing experience over there. We were going to actually do tournaments but everything got rained out. And so then we spent time with them literally chasing polo cross balls on their farm when they were letting us chase the kangaroos before we chased anyone else. What part of Australia was that? We went to New South Wales, flew into Sydney, and Kate and David were amazing hosts. They had two daughters the same age as my kids. And so when the tournaments got rained out time after time after time that week. Kate kept entering us in different tournaments and then the place would go (laughs) underwater again. So they had six beautiful amazing Australian stock horses. Kate was pregnant at the time. So David and I and my two kids and David's two girls. So the six of us, you know, we rode and Kate 
photographed. We rode those horses almost every day on kind of the gentle side of a hill where at times the kangaroos would run off the field while you were playing around. So <laughs> it was, it was, there's so much to cover, Ryan, but that was my first introduction to the Australian stock horse. To ride six horses, they were almost interchangeable. David had done the training on them and you could step on to the next one and we were just goofing around, but I mean, we were, we were goofing around pretty hard, like <laughs> across the wheel, you know, as a, as a long-term horseman to sit on horse after horse after horse and feel the willingness, the suppleness, the quickness. Jeez, it, it was really, it was really something. So that was our first trip abroad to play ball. So it didn't end up being a formal experience, but in the end, it's left us with a lasting friendship and it was a super experience to meet the ASH that way. You're Australian. We know about your droughts. We know about your floods. <laughs> we only care about your horses. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. Robbie was chased by a kangaroo in Australia one time. He now, was on see, a- that Robbie picked the fight with that kangaroo first. I, I'm, uh, that sounds like an ER story, you know, like, um, like, uh, what, did, what happened to you, sir? Well, it was just two beers and then this guy came out of the dark and smashed me with a pipe. I mean, th- this sounds like the same kind of story. Like, I was just minding my own business and I was chased by a kangaroo. I feel like there's some lead in there. <laughs> well, if you put Robbie on something bigger than a 12-hand pony, he's taller than most kangaroos. Than most kangaroos. So, right? so he's, his confidence <laughs> level goes way up. <laughs> that and then, you know, speaking about being a really one of the most memorable times for me in polo cross as a player and I do play to the best of my ability and with lots of lots of verbal participation in the sport <laughs> I was able to play twice at something that Jamie Zito and Todd Camp organized which was the Masters kind of interchange weekend where in 2015 that's what led to our 2016 trip and then in 2017 there was another Masters international exchange down at, at Jamie's and that led to me meeting Liz Johnson and Carl Henshaw and Phil over in England, and they issued an invitation for, I mean, it was just as usual in Polo Cross, such a generous invitation. Just come over and we'll horse you. And I was just like, let's just say yes. <laughs> <laughs> we had another unforgettable experience in the UK at Arden Club at the Midland Camp. Kids and I were horsed with just amazing partners to play ball with. And and again, a family atmosphere where we were taken into somebody's home and into their horse trailer or their lorry. And experienced Polo Cross in another country. What I really know about traveling around and doing polo cross, I think about this all the time, is like you might be with completely new people, but you're sharing something that you're all familiar with. So so that when you say, you know, can you go ahead and tack up my horse for the 10 o'clock game? It doesn't even matter what country you're in. You know that that horse needs to be tacked up mostly a certain way. You know, you're going to get it 90% right. You want to wrap it put its tail up. It's this instant experience where you're sharing this really treasured common ground. And from there, you go on to have other experiences and other conversations with people from entirely different parts of life. And I think that's one of the things I have absolutely treasured the most about Polo Cross. I got to experience Midlands when I was 15. I I got to do the camp and the chicken shed, which I don't know if it's called the chicken shed anymore. They know how to do it right there. And my friend came with me on a trip and he was playing the piano from the house to the field through a a megaphone. And my dad was there making fun of me because I missed a goal or something like that. So my dad's on the, on the mic with Simon cheering. And I'm sure you brought a lot home as far as what you could do for your own club, right? Um, we just yes. had this mega clinic beginning of November and we had 50 participants. We had all these coaches and Stacy was nice enough to lend us her, her facility. Her, her farm is phenomenal and she's a super mom and she has super supporters there with her making potluck food and there just happens to be an airport hangar to hang out in and 
ping pong tables and it's just a big playground. And so what did you take home from Midlands that you brought home to your own club at Grand Bay? Well, absolutely. The sense that, and again, now speaking more for the ground level player and the family player, that the more you can do with your horse the better your horse gets at pole across. And since I came from an eventing background and I was a little bit of an elitist, I grew up in a, in a family that was breeding tricaners. I didn't come into this sport understanding that there was a benefit from games and fun stuff that would translate to performance. And really being at the Midland camp, that was a fantastic lesson. We did a half a morning of barrel racing where our coaches focused on how we were turning the horses through the barrel, how we were looking up with our shoulders instead of down at the barrel. And this just translated into how you might turn your horse in the area. You might not always turn it that way, but when you do turn it off the inside rein like that, you you need to remember your chest up, eyes up. And these communication games we played over there, which really taught me a lot about how to speak to players about speaking to each other. And all this translates into making the game really family friendly when it's done right. And really helping a club that way too, because the club comes together with people of all ages. Sometimes they have relationships outside pull across. Sometimes they don't know each other at all. And so communication within the team, if you learn that in life, it goes everywhere with you. And I think that that, that's one of the things that we were able to bring, hopefully, you know, to the mega clinic and kind of make it fun. Polo cross is inherently fun by itself. But if you drill your horse and yourself to death, you will kind of lose a little bit of the fun of it. And so you, when you have to do something that's kind of silly and kind of different, but it has some of the same skill set things, then that translates it. It rejuvenates you and your horse it's really great to not get your horse stale by going chukka after chukka after chukka. But then you're building that muscle memory and building that physical memory and communication skills and then you bring it all to the game. So that would be what I got out of Arden that I really wanted to make sure was happening here. And and I know that Polo Cross cycles, that I've only been involved in the sport for eight years and there have been many, many decades where some of this, it cycles up, it cycles to a different focus, it it goes up, it goes to a different focus again. So I love that about the sport too, that it it feels very eternal. I really hope it is eternal because I really need to play until I just fall off on the field pretty much. (laughs) They'll have Uh, a division for me special. It'll be like the going gray division. That's what I want to call it, going gray. (laughs) The masters isn't enough? No, no, no. We've we've experienced, you know, throughout the nation, there's some conflict about that labeling. Um, (laughs) And masters, you know, try to want to be like the A-grade players who want to go only a tenth slower than they used to go when they were 20. I'm not them, never was, never really had a faint dream of being. So I'm kind of in the going gray capacity where we're the ones driving the trailer. We're the ones that have to get the horses and the kids home that job on Monday and so yeah <laughs> we are well capable of of laughing at ourselves and laughing with our teammates and really yeah. that's the feeling from polo cross that keeps me coming back is when I come off of that six minutes or eight minutes I am invariably smiling maybe not everybody is but I am I, I come off and I'm proud of my horse or I'm thinking of something we can work on differently or I'm laughing at something I did do or didn't do you know or yeah maybe or maybe a penalty or four. Laughter is kind of a scarce commodity sometimes in life. And if you can combine like horses and family with laughter, for those of us that are already wanting to be with our horses and our family, and then you're going to put laughter with it, well, that's why it's just a winner. You know, it's just yeah, a winner. Yeah, that's what happens with clubs, personality conflicts. A lot of the big clubs in the U.S. have split at, at some point, and it was probably for the better. My dad always had this philosophy. No matter what, there's no pressure to come to practice. He's going to prepare the field, pick 
kicking poop off the field, raking it, all the extra grass that he was cutting. If people came, they came. And it was all about just having fun. There wasn't all this extra pressure. And I think that that's probably the most important thing that has allowed your club to grow and be successful is it really stems a lot. I give you a lot of credit for that, for, for having that personality because it's almost like if you're in a fight with someone and you start uh, laughing like hysterically they don't know what to do with it they think you're a little bit crazy but if that doesn't mesh with them they may not come back but if you don't if you know you want to be around people that want to be there it's sort of this taking the pressure off but creating an environment of fun there's certainly been a learning curve though, Ryan, there's definitely been a learning curve. You know, in the first couple of years of the club, it was really difficult to get used to the idea of having people riding on property when you didn't know them, you weren't sure what their behavior might be. There were easily people that didn't come back because I wasn't always that capable of saying, hey, you know, you do you, right? Because because that's difficult, you know, and it, it comes associated with legal risks. It comes with social risks. So there certainly were times over the first part of the years where I would feel like maybe this was just too much to ask. Maybe I didn't need to be doing this. But on the other hand, then again, either the kids were laughing and really enjoy, like I loved teaching my children how to honor their horses. Like that has been a big deal for me, like teaching them all about how we don't ask something of an animal that it isn't prepared to do and that all that preparation goes for the ask. And I feel like that these are life lessons. The other thing that's been great about Grand Bay is that over the years, we have definitely had people willing to step up and lead. So I have not been the president of Grand Bay its whole time. There've been times where I could just step back completely and not be involved in the management of the club and other people have stepped forward. And so that rotation and other people in Grand Bay being more than willing to lead and lead so confidently with new ideas, that's been fantastic too. That's why we're still happy to be in Grand Bay Polo Cross. Grand Bay started in 2012. Is that correct? Is that, yeah. that when you found the sport? How many players do you have now? Is- I think as far as members, and we include our juniors, I think we're going to be in the high 20s. This year has been odd where, you know, not very many people were able to compete. And so some people maybe dropped away a little bit. Some people didn't necessarily re-up when it looked like we weren't going to do any competition. The last several practices we've had, we've had easily 15 to 18 horses on the field working. Even when people go away from the sport for a little bit, they invariably miss it. They just miss it. They miss the time with their horse, the socialization. And even if they come back with a green horse or they come back after an injury, they come back. And that's, right. that's it's it kind of rotates through that way. I've been fortunate to be a part of big clubs with Lone Star Start. And I know that you learn a lot of things from Lone Star. And I took what I learned from Lone Star and brought it to Carolina, which became a big club at one point. We even split off. And it's just sort of that natural progression of a club. But just being there and having nonstop Chuck is going on, just rotating, having to sit down and make a schedule of who's going to be on what. So everyone gets so many Chuckas. That's such a great position to be in. And having 20 active players, let's say, that's easily 10% of the whole APA at this point. So that's that's something to be proud of. I appreciate your, your perspective on that. I also know that you view the sport through the, the lens of a, of a camera. And I'd like to hear your perspective on that. It's sort of taking a step back from the people, looking at horses, what you've found, that compassion you have for horses. Tell me a little bit about that. Looking at the camera was not accidental. It was deliberate. I had wanted to do photography for years and I'd never made the time. In 2013, we were starting to build a website. We were for the club, for Grand Bay. We were on Facebook. We were posting about practices and events. We're having to take stock images from the internet to see what we were going to do. And I thought, you know, if I could have my own camera, then I could photograph the things that I'm seeing 
and I could use those images and they would be readily available to me and I would own the images. And then I could show people the variety of horses in the sport, the variety of riders, the, the moments between kids and horses, the intense action. So that's why I started shooting camera. And then I started going to tournaments and shooting camera. And then I kind of got in the habit of feeling a little cheeky when I would look at all these photographs. Somehow my creative side of me just decided to start captioning the photographs because I was putting them out to a wider market. And I knew that if you didn't have any context of what was going on and you weren't a player, how would you be able to relate to the photograph? How could I get you to remember the photograph? So it really, the photography and the captioning has really been an expression of creativity for me first. And then it became, because it's now been seven years that I've photographed the sport. I was lucky enough to photograph in England as well. It became really a habit of mine to watch the horsemanship, to watch rider position, to watch how much a rider knew about the game. Because if I'm following them with my telephoto, I expect them to move to a certain position in as the chuck evolves, because I see where the ball is. I mean, I have a telephoto, so I'm seeing it all. And I'm seeing it as a player and I'm seeing it as a horseman. So if I look for you to have already moved to this corner of the field to mark your player and you're over there staring at the sky, then I already know that your head's not in the game, whether it's just that moment or whether you're just not at that, at that strategy level yet. There's so much that I've watched. I've watched horse fitness with a really interested eye because of my medical background with people. And so watching horses, respiratory rates, kind of looking at what how heat affects horses, when horses look like they, they're two minutes off is enough versus is there do they need more minutes between chuckas to rest? That's something that I've been kind of unconsciously watching for a long time. Interestingly, I also watched and continue to watch the use of head guards or bug eyes where horses sometimes have them and sometimes don't. And I have watched them and horses to back up every tournament I have almost 1200 photographs I might find 75 to 100 that I feel like are worthy of publishing that are complementary to the sport complementary to the horse and the rider so that's a pretty big ticket to ask of a photograph when you have six horses in it back to the kind of eye protection thing so when the eye protectors started to come in 2013 2014 we started to see a good bit of it it was interesting to me to watch that a horse that wears an eye protector is careful with his head at all it doesn't have to be right and so if you have two horses going side by side, coming down the field, coming down the midfield, you know, marking and kind of battling for possession of the line, that if both horses have an eye guard on, you will watch them bang those eye guards together. And I'm seeing it from my camera. And of course, those of you who ride with eye guards know that your eye guards are dented. Those eye guards don't hold their shape. And the reason is because they're actually knocking against other eye guards. So when I watch a horse who's got a guard on against a horse that doesn't, it actually makes me quite nervous because the eye guarded horse doesn't guard their face at all. They're happy to swing it. And so that to me has, has led to me emphasizing to newer players, to my own club, especially to my own children, that I don't want to see these horses going down the field and you don't have any contact on the outside rein. But you need to be tipping that nose away from the horse you're marking on so that we don't have this kind of clashing of heads, especially when we have one horse that's in bug eyes and the other horse that isn't. So that's just one of the things that I've picked up. The, one of the other things I like to watch is I know that horses, or sorry, riders come to the sport from different backgrounds. So it's very interesting to me to be able to pick out what rider came to polo cross from a Western seat and what rider came to polo cross from an English seat or a jumping seat. Uh, we've got, we are so lucky to have our trick riders in our club that I think you've met. Yeah, maybe one. Yeah. Um, and when they first started riding with us, I was stunned at how they never, their, their bodies never leave the saddle, but they don't have any weight in their stirrups. And why is that? Well, they don't ride with weight in their stirrups. <laughs> so, right. so for their own sport, which you listen, they can hang upside down by a toenail on their horse 
right? But when they ride polocross, because I'm shooting pictures and I'm watching through the lens, I'm nervous about not seeing a downhill, you know, with a weighted leg, because I know that's generally with most riders, that's a yeah. warning sign. Not if you're talking about these particular riders, they're never coming off their horses. They'll be able to make you a milkshake while they score a goal. That's why the camera has been endlessly kind of entertaining for me, really entertaining to share images of the sport, to share, and hopefully usually with just humor, never really being snarky, maybe a little snarky, captioning the photographs so that people engage with the photographs and engage with the sport and being able to have great pictures and memories for people because there's so much that happens that you just... You want to hold on to those feelings that you have when you're playing ball. I have to ask, I mean, you're trying to complement the sport, obviously. You're taking so many photos. So is there like a, a black file pictures <laughs> that that do not complement the sport? <laughs> I'm sure there's Woo! some pet peeves that you have. You were going to ask that question. <laughs> Well, I, I know that there'll be more than one listener here in the U.S. who will know that I have said to them uh, when they've asked me, because I don't charge for photographs, right? That would take all the joy out of it. For me personally, I'm, I'm lucky to be able to have another job and I don't need to charge for this. So when people say to me, well, you never take any pictures of me. And then I will invariably say, because you're never out of your horse's mouth. Because I won't publish photographs when horses are gap mouthed, coming down the midfield when a range should be forgiving. Instead, I got a tongue, you know, out there by an eye. And I'm looking at the whole dental palate of that horse because the rider's so focused on the game or the marking up or the passing that they've forgotten their horse's mouth. I can think of a number of people who would probably be laughing hearing this. But what's really been interesting is I'm completely unabashedly using the power of the publicity to change people. And I will say to them, you won't see any photographs of yourself if I'm the one taking them if you don't get out of your horse's mouth. That's a change. I feel like it's a little change. And as much as these horses give us in this game, we are doing something so totally unnatural with these horses. <laughs> it's like, it's yeah. so unnatural. Like, here you go, herd animal. Let me introduce you to a brand new herd, some of whom will be your friends and the other whom I'm going to ask you to smash all over the field. <laughs> By the way, while you're doing that, you're going to be kicked and pulled. There's going to be yelling going on, sticks going around your head, cracking wood, but stay calm. It's fine. Right? <laughs> and so when we ask horses to do pull across, I feel like that we really owe them, like we owe them the fitness. We owe them the fitness. We should not be bringing them to really anything above kind of a D plus, you know, without thinking about fitness. And we owe them kindness. There's times in the game, everybody does it, where you want to stop because the game switched direction. You see it, the horse doesn't, and you use your hand. You use it, okay? And, and we've all done it, and, and you've got to signal your horse. And there's moments where that gapping and, and the horse looks like he's super uncomfortable, that's very real. And you're going to let that go immediately. But then there's times where people just forget themselves, and they're still on that bit. And they're still hanging on that horse's mouth. And, and that's something I think we owe the horses. I think we owe them the relief. Get out of the mouth if you don't have something to say. And the kindness, because what they're giving us really is incalculable. I cringe a lot. I mean, I, I feel for the horses. Maybe not at the same level that you do, but I, I do. It, it's hard to watch a lot of times. How much do you think as horse welfare, I don't know, members at a tournament, how much do you think they should have the, I mean, obviously they should have leeway to pull a horse or make suggestions, but how much is it their responsibility to adjust someone's trajectory? That's an interesting question. I think the way that the rules are written now involve, you know, how many times are you going to use your crop on a horse and who, who views that as unfair. And I think every rider watching from the sideline can 
can often see when something's gotten out of hand. I can happily tell you that I have seen that so few times at Poa Cross, really so few times. I've seen somebody, you know, be more unfair with a horse in the eventing world than I've seen in the Poa Cross world. But that's just, you know, that's my experience. It doesn't mean it's everybody else's. I think that the responsibility, Ryan, really falls within the club. I think for a horse welfare officer, the better attention is paid to conditions on the field, conditions of humidity and heat, going around the tournament and making sure that horses have clean water, that if there's a horse in distress coming off the field, that if it's, you know, that the horse welfare officer be educated enough to realize that that horse looks like it's in distress. You know, it's not recovering in a two-minute window. But as far as time you come to a tournament and you're starting to play faster with more engagement, which I really would see that in our country right now as being kind of a D plus, you know, C minus kind of idea, where if we're talking about E is still kind of walk, trot, and a little bit of canner, D is right. pretty much all canner all the time. This is just what I've seen in the last, say, two years. I do think we've had a little grade creep in the last six or seven years, which is fine. So if you're starting to play D plus, you're almost moving into C. And at that point, you need to be responsible for your horse's fitness and for your horsemanship in a way that, that as we look out across the field with a camera or without a camera, we really see kind of a consistency in how well people are riding and treating their horse. One of the things I am always clear to do and I love to see other people do is when I finish that chukka and get off my horse, the first thing I do is loosen his girth and give him a big head rub. And I will give him a pat and praise before I'll talk to anyone else because he's just given me that six minutes. And I think that that's super important. Speaking of grades, how would you grade the U.S. in their overall umpiring abilities at this point? <laughs> and be honest, because I will say this, people are surveyed. This has been done in the past. Proving an umpiring program is number one in front of anything else. Where are we at A to F on a umpiring ability scale? I think I don't. you're not calling anyone out. But just in general, mm. how much can we improve? I've only been to England, right? And I was there for, so if you're talking about the U.S. versus somewhere else, certainly there are many, many people who could give a broader answer to this question. Let me just tell you what I'm not satisfied with. What I, as a mom of children, don't ever want to see is I don't want to see rudeness on the field toward umpires. I don't want to see it from umpires to players, but I especially don't want to see it from players to umpires. So I feel like that we're kind of at a, I don't know, I'm going to say maybe a B minus when it comes to quality and interaction style of umpires. I've seen worse. I have, I did see some things overseas that were screaming matches and, you know, maybe it wasn't the best moment for that particular match. But what I would, would love people to focus on, because again, my focus, Ryan, is on the family atmosphere of this game. So I don't want players yelling four-letter words at umpires, especially when that umpire is my 17-year-old son, who's been raised that if I ever heard that out of his mouth, I would be snatching him off his horse and he would be packed in the trailer and we would just call it a day. So right. for me, again, I, <laughs> your listeners can now know that this interview was not prepped. I did not know this question was coming. <laughs> so I feel like I, I can't speak to the quality of the umpiring in terms of how well do they call stuff because I'm not an upper level player and I am a mediocre umpire probably at best. I tend to let my humor get the best of me when I umpire, but that's why they leave me in the lower grades. Remember everybody, <laughs> you see my name on the player list. Oh, I only umpire the E grade. <laughs> that's what I umpire. So well, overall, my, my request to the umpire program would be that there is some focus on maintaining and, and really not maintaining, make the civility exemplary. Make the civility top notch because that would only add to the beauty of the situation. Right. And again, 
lot of us are raising kids in this environment and we are taking this weekend and spending that money and driving that eight hours so that we can have an experience with our children. And never should my experience be that I have to use someone else as a bad example. Like I have to look over someone else and say, all right, if you two ever do that, you know, blah, 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 like make the parents around you, make their job a little easier. Be the person that your own kids want to see. That's the only comment I would have about the umpiring is just that there are certainly people who take control of a game quickly and politely and and with authority, but just the right amount of management. And those umpires, I, I love to ride a game under those umpires. There's different aspects of umpiring. There's there's number one, just knowing the rules and being effective as an umpire, calling those rules. We tend to be very tight in the United States. That's why you probably gave us a B, B minus because when we go to other countries, we're like, I just got crossed, you know, and in other countries, it's not that way. It's like a, right. uh, it's like a trout stream and just fish people <laughs> crossing all over each other. Well, I could just tell you a funny story. And again, I, I know you have <laughs> listeners around the globe, but I, I won't be the only one that remembers that in one of my first games at Arden, because we went to the Midland camp and then we played the tournament that weekend, I was put in the position of the one, which is my least favorite position to play. And I was not able to do much with the ball when I did get a hold of it in the area. So my frustration level was going up and relatively quickly in my, I think it was my very first game on foreign soil, I came up to do a racket strike and the player moved her racket and I beaned her in the head. And I mean, you could hear that <laughs> across the entire field. And it was like time stopped and they're like, oh, there's that girl from Alabama. <laughs> So uh, obviously it was not an intentional injury to her and and, uh, there were many, many apologies. But so I I feel not qualified to comment (laughs) on firing. (laughs) No one was harmed in the making of that little uh, anecdote. (laughs) When you get there, when you get to a new place, you've got to, you know, you got to mark your territory. You got to let them know that you're serious. Right. (laughs) So so I, at that point, I guess my point of that was when we were there, we did play four matches and actually we did the three, we did the three matches and then got to watch the championship. I had nothing to say about anyone crossing me because really early in in the whole experience, I just rang somebody's bell. (laughs) I had no room to say one word except yes, thank you, no, thank you. Well, I wanted to share with you kind of how the club came to be because I think it's a neat story and may be instructive for other people. So kind of the short version. When I decided not to breed Tricaners anymore, I decided to step down to a smaller breed and I got super interested in breeding Connemaras. I bought a Connemara in utero, probably 2000 maybe, I think it was the year 2000, who was born on my property here, the property you visited, and named her Wild Riley Rose. And that was to be a really prophetic name for this full-bred Connemara bay pony because she indeed was snaking her head going down the line when she was a day old, like going down the fence line. So I watched her go off down the fence line snaking her head and I thought, oh dear, (laughs) (laughs) what have we gotten ourselves into here? So Riley and I, the kids were little, really little. So I went ahead and broke Riley out and she was, she's 14 too, 14, three. She's 18 right now. She and I struggled and tried to do some three day eventing and Riley hated dressage. She would grind her teeth going down the center line. She would go, but she would grind her teeth and her eyes would just say, I hate this. And then we would get on the course and she would, she'd go and she'd check for me a little bit and rate a little bit, but she just always wanted to go faster. Like what was around the next curve? We have got to see it faster. And I called her for all those years, my crack pony, but I mean, I'm a stubborn (laughs) girl and I was not going to give up. And eventually I came to the idea that maybe she was not going to be happy with me doing this. And I struggled with this idea that I would sell her. And I thought, you know, it's my responsibility as the breeder to try to find something else that this pony 
could do. And at the time, I was very much a, a one-trick pony myself. It was dressage and eventing. That was all I did. So I saw an ad on Facebook, you know, me, the Facebook hater, for a polo cross clinic that was going to come to Mobile, sponsored by the Pony Club, in January of 2012. So I went online and I had been a pony clubber myself. I went online and I looked up pull across on video. Now you know that that's terrifying if you do that. Yeah. <laughs> so- But I did look at some lower level games and I thought to myself, you know, those horses look a lot like my pony. Like they look like they are super busy in the brain and this is maybe what she needs. So I signed up for the clinic with the intent of going to the clinic, meeting the clinician and asking her what she thought of this pony as possibly a candidate for this game. So I go to the clinic. It was in Grand Bay, Alabama, of all things. And it was, clinician was Dory Johnson, who was at the time playing in Lone Star and was also a pony clubber herself. So I was traveling around the country and giving clinics for Pony Club uh, to play polo cross and to do games. But of course, you know, Dory's so versatile. She was also doing show jumping at that clinic as well. So that day they showed us, uh, Dory showed us some video. She had a great big bag of rackets and balls and she, they put the racket in my hand and they told me I could hit other people's rackets. <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> I can what? <laughs> Because as an ER doctor, I have what I like to call a lot of social rage. Like I have a lot of rage. I've just got rage at injustices. I have rage at stupidity. I, I have emotions that have no outlet. Well, before Polo Cross, they didn't. And so when they told me that if I did it the right way, I was allowed to hit someone else's racket as hard as I could. I was like, well, okay then. You know, so, so that day we played in the clinic. By the end of the day, we were actually playing chuckas. Like it wasn't too ugly. The mayor... Riley, my Connemara, she took to it right away. Like, like like she'd been born to do it. She had no concern about the racket or ball and off we went. And I thought, well, I guess I'm not selling the pony. (laughs) That is how that happened. And in that sense, that's how Grand Bay was born. I went uh, to the internet to figure out how I could play more polo cross after the clinic and there were no clubs. And I thought, well, look at all these clubs in Texas. And I went to my husband. I said, have you ever wanted to live in Texas? (laughs) 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 I mean, truly, like this is how it happened. And he goes, well, no, I, we just got this place. Like, I don't really ever imagine leaving the place that we were li- the place that you visited. We had just purchased, you know, maybe 10 years earlier. We were not living at the back of the property at the time. We were still up the front. So at any rate, yes, that's how Grand Bay Polo Cross was born. So I incorporated it in July of 2012. I guess that's the right word. Or, you know, I made it an official club, uh, June, July of 2012. And I really find it immensely satisfying that Riley not only played with me, but she came to her her full amazingness under my daughter, Jocelyn. And Jocelyn has, you know, been seen uh, kind of devastatingly scoring on people for several years on Riley. And it's been always a joy for me to watch both of my homebreds, you know, play together and to know that without Riley's temperament and without my willingness to go a little extra mile and try to find something that worked for her, we were moments away from never discovering polo cross at all. To me, that that makes this mare, she's a phenomenal, phenomenal pony. The, the thing that I would give forward to that for everyone who might want to try polo cross is don't go out looking for the horse that you don't have yet. Take the horse that you do have and see what you can do with it before you feel like you can't try pull across. Take what you have, make it a little better, keep your sense of humor, keep your kindness and your empathy with your horse. Make an attempt into pull across 
don't think that it's beyond you because you don't have the right horse. That's never the right answer. It's a cross training opportunity. Horses, most of them tend to really enjoy it if the rider stays out of their way and lets them yeah. just be a horse. <laughs> the mares do like to pin their ears, enjoy the sport. That's an amazing story. That That is so uh, poetic. What attracted other players? Because obviously for people that don't know, Dory Johnson is a two-time World Cup player, one of the best that the U.S. has ever had. And I'll say that confidently. Phenomenal rider, did games, does dressage now. And uh, I'm, I'm not getting... And Ricky Ryan, I mean, I'm an instructor myself, but I take lessons to, you know, because you should always take lessons if you're an instructor. I think Dory's probably one of the most gifted instructors I had ever ridden under. When I met her on that Saturday, I came home with that horse, Riley, and I thought about it and I called back to the clinic and I said, have you got another spot for tomorrow's show jumping? And I brought another horse back to the, the next day because I thought, I don't know this person. I'd like to know a little more about her. So I'm going to take another lesson to kind of get a sense of who she is and who these people are of whom she speaks, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so at the end of that Sunday, I said to Dory, listen, I live about 10 minutes from here. Would you run home with me to my place? And let me just show you that I've got this field. And I think like that it might work for polo cross. And at the time, like I had no idea what was running around in Dory's brain because she came with me to the field that, that you played on yourself that, you know, where we had the clinic. And she looked at it and she, she looked at me and she said, this, this is a polo cross field. And I said, well, right now, I, right now I take like 1500 of hay bale off of it every year. And she's like, well... It, it's really perfect. And she said, and you're kind of right in between Texas and Florida. <laughs> and I thought, well, I guess I am. Like, I didn't even think what that meant. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I really, I give Dory full credit for, for really handling that clinic the way she did and being the person that she is really brought me to the level of thinking if somebody this fun can have this much confidence in a sport, this fun, I want to put my foot in the water. So right. I had back, um, February, March, I booked her to come back to my farm. And that was when we started to advertise on Facebook because I thought, well, this is how I find the clinic. So I'm going to just create a website and create a, a event page. I believe we had 18 complete novice riders at that first clinic. And we retained some of them to this day. Somewhere along the line, and I know you interviewed Charles Saucy, I think earlier this year. Charles was not a person that I knew before 2013 or so, but in 2012, I actually knew Karen Saucy because Karen and I worked at the same hospital. So when I found Polo Cross in January, I knew there were other people in the hospital that rode horses, but I knew they were like rainers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so like, I was a dressage and a <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't as if Karen and I had even a respiratory therapist and an ER doc work hand in hand in really tense situations. And we already knew each other that way. When you're working over a patient that needs your help, you have a real sense of who you, who you have in the room, like who's on the team. So we already had that relationship. So when I came up to the night, I think it was a night shift, I brought the one measly racket that I'd been able to scrounge <laughs> by like putting out ads for used rackets and the ball. And I'm showing Karen Saucy in the emergency room. I'm like, hey, look at this. Like, I'm telling you, this is really amazing. Like I had done the clinic by that time. So I had met Karen and she was like, well, I, I give that a try, you know? <laughs> and so that first clinic, I can't remember everybody that was there. And there were people, there were people at the original clinic in January who ended up playing and play to this day. So yeah, the whole beginning of that and how we, we now all know each other through thick and thin, you know, right. the relationship 
that we form through our club for Karen and I, especially really are solid. Karen and Charles now, of course, are raising Australian stock horses and, and one day might actually breed the filly that I'm waiting to buy <laughs> one day. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I'm waiting just for the cosmos to send me a Hayden satellite female uh, baby. That's what I'm waiting <laughs> for. Anyway, when my son was lacking confidence, and I know, well, I guess you've seen him play once, right, in Texas. There yeah. was a time where Garrett lacked confidence because he had a couple bad experiences where he came off horses and he was like nine or 10, you know, and it just, I thought for a while that he would not play. Karen and Charles were gracious enough to lend me the horse that their little boy still rides, Pep. Garrett rode Pep two years, maybe three years. You know how, well, you don't know yet. You can't describe how you feel about someone who can help you give your kid confidence. Someone who can help you give your kid a skill an experience. And especially when it's horses, because horses and kids are not like baseball and kids. Like it's a whole different risk factor for you as an educated mother. For Karen and Charles to lend Pep to this farm, he was here for several years. Garrett rode him, Joss rode him, Skylar Stacy rode him. I mean, Pep has probably made more players out of non-players than any other horse in our club, probably. So at any rate, that's again, back to family. And for me as a photographer and as a mom, and as, as Karen and I both founding the club together, when I look at her child, her son on Peppy and through the lens of my camera, it's like so many layers of emotion that are all so amazingly positive that that's, that's for me, once again, what Polar Cross can give me is those connections to family and horses and how we can use the game and the skill of riding to teach life lessons. And that's right. where I have the most value in, in the sport. There's also another lesson there that, uh, I mean, Karen didn't come from a small reigning background. It was a big training background. She was open to trying something different. And now you come around to your advantage with the stock horses, right? You have, you have nearby. <laughs> I would not consider my job done until I have Karen Saucy in an English saddle over a nice big log on satellite and in my lens. Like that is on my bucket list. I'm going to issue a public challenge right now, public <laughs> your waves for Karen Saucy to ride Hayden Satellite over logs at my place so that I can shoot pictures of her. I have offered to do it more than once. And you know that big log that's on the off side of the field? Yeah. You know how fabulous Hayden would look over that? He jumps like a hunter. He's just kadonk, kadonk. Oh my God, it's beautiful. Right. So so I'm just issuing that challenge to Karen Saucy to <laughs> pull that big tank of muscle down here and let me photograph him over that log with her in the irons she's like well you know you can do it and jocelyn can do it i said then who's going to take the pictures like i know the <laughs> so anyway um that when you talk about being willing to try something new somebody else i, w- I would mention that uh, that really always bears mentioning when it comes to our our development of the sport here mary ladner mary ladner i met through grand bay polacross and mary is a horseman that takes horses to new adventures all the time. She was a real role model for me when I realized that Mary would have a horse sorting one morning and jumping the next afternoon or, you know, doing, you know, the sorting where they're sorting the cattle back and forth or doing long trail rides or then doing kind of like um, cowboy obstacles at speed. Right. Yeah, and then taking yeah. the same horse and taking it to a dressage show. And so for Mary, you know, Polo Cross was pretty much just another, you know, amazing notch to put in her belt. <laughs> and <laughs> I have found her willingness to bring horses to new adventures really inspiring. And so ever since I've become not a one trick pony in breaking my own horses now, I make sure that they do 
as much as I can think of, like whatever crazy crap that I can do with those horses, I'm going to do it. In 2019, I did endurance for the first time. Hope to do some of that in 2021. Riley, the pony I spoke of, has done sorting with my daughter. Kind of back to this idea that that polo cross in and of itself, it's the game and and the at the athleticism and the socialization. But you'll make yourself a better rider playing polo cross, but you'll make yourself and your horse a better team trying lots of things. And right. that's why people of that mindset can come to the sport and say, hey, well, I'm willing to try something new and I'm, I'm not afraid to be not great at it the first little while. Right. You talk about confidence. I'm just going to say this just from my experience in the dressage world. These horses are big. They're not all dumb, but we call them dumb bloods for, for a reason. No. <laughs> so much. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of these riders are afraid of their horses and it's just a fact. And just being confident on a, on a horse is so important. That's You can learn everything you need to know in Pony Club about uh, all the technicalities, um, what is a croup and can be a, a whiz champion. But if you're not confident on your horse, what's the point? Um, right. I think I think about Baker White, who actually bought Bella from us a while back. He was at one of my camps. He's this little boy. He was 10. He was afraid to go on a walking trail ride. Baker? <laughs> yeah, with 20 kids. Um, afraid? Yep. I photographed Baker. I, did, I saw no fear in his eyes when I photographed him. None. <laughs> I know. His confidence reflects his, yeah. his height now. But we sold him Bella. Perfect horse. She didn't want to do too much. <laughs> But she was very but smooth. Enough, yeah, right? yeah, enough. And oh my gosh, that kid now is so confident and uh, so talented. Just having confidence on a horse. I think back to 96 when I went to the UK. I was on a trail ride. I was a little apprehensive. I, you know, I wasn't super confident. On those trail rides, you're going down the road and then you get in, you go through the gate and then they're going to haul ass. Ho. Yeah, they haul ass. And that field was so uneven and that horse was so green and I was uh-huh. screaming the whole way. But my confidence went up from that experience. What horses can give us, again, is, is relatively immeasurable, certainly to circle back to this year, which has been really so, really stressful for me. I, I can't, I almost can't quantitate what a year this has been to be a healthcare worker in the pandemic. I honestly, tonight, I'll ride tonight because I'm off work. If I'm not working, I'm in the barn. You know, I'm lucky enough to have horses on my property. My horses are like a touchstone to me. They just bring me back to center. I don't know how they do it, but they'll absorb some of that worry and stress. And I always leave my connection with horses feeling just more peaceful, more centered, more able to handle the future of polo cross you you had talked about you know you have this tremendous facility you said that down the road you'd like to be able to host more events there or make it more of an event type type of facility tell me more about that because if you build it they will come and you've already done that you've already built a great club but you sort of had a vision of what you might be able to do more of in the future to expand upon what you currently have i think that there's lots of options for my property And the fact that I still enjoy this means that I'm likely to continue to do it. I really like seeing people have a good time in an outdoor environment, enjoying each other, enjoying their horses. I get this creative feelings about how, you know, how, how could this be even more fun? You know, like, (laughs) I I feel like I, I just want, I want people to have fun on their horses, off their horses, to be smiling and to kind of grab a hold of that, of that piece of the time in your life when no matter what your age is, you're able to feel like a kid. Hopefully, you know, with uh, with the pandemic being less and less uh, a priority in our lives, very hopefully by October of 2021, I think we're both looking forward to the idea that we would run another mega clinic here. For me, I'm looking this year at maybe doing some derby jump courses here because, you know, jumping is a great way to 
condition horses and riders, uh, but it also is a great way to get people on my property and then give them a racket because <laughs> I do that. <laughs> we had looked at lighting the field. I don't know about that, Ryan. Sometimes, sometimes I think I might get wild and do it. Sometimes I look at the cost and think, I, I don't know. But I am still always, I find myself sometimes thinking, you know, well, you'll get tired of polo cross. You'll probably stop playing. But then it just doesn't happen, you know, and the kids, the kids are getting older and they're going to be moving on to their college lives. And instead of thinking to myself, well, you'll be done playing polo cross. Now I'm thinking, well, I could probably make eight tournaments next year. <laughs> Because, because the kids, you know, they'll be in college. <laughs> they'll be playing soccer where they live, where they, you know, yeah. So, yeah. so I do, um, I do think that the future of polo cross depends on its ability to continue to service all players. And so when you come to the game, you can find what you want there. You can find, I think you should be able to find a fun game where people are teaching you, even if, even within a tournament, you know, like in the kind of going gray masters kind of league, you can find the chuckles division where you have those moments as a parent where your, your four-year-old is on the field and he's, the four-year-old is telling you to trot faster and you're dragging <laughs> the pony. Or you can have those times where you're a 17-year-old male, you're full of spit and vinegar, and you go down the field, you know, clashing rackets with Rob Shuttles. Yeah. You know, so the sport, its future depends on its flexibility and its inclusivity. The ability to include all horses to make room for all riders to try to, to keep the sport open to where one particular focus doesn't take over everything else. Because right. certainly if, if you made it family oriented to the exclusion of the high achievers, well, then you're going to drive the high achievers out. Right. If you make it high achieving to the exclusion of the family fun, you're going to drive the families away. Right. So that's the future to me is it's, it's something Polo Cross already has. It's not something that it has to be given. It's just that all players and, and participants and families are kind of responsible. Like you mentioned your wife gardening, we're all kind of responsible for kind of nurturing this sport, for pulling weeds and keeping soil right and keeping humidity right so that we can all participate in keeping the sport to where it works for the majority of people. And, and that would be, that would be where I would, where, where I hope we head. And I, I certainly plan to be a part of it. I feel like the growth of the sport depends on the grassroots and local clubs building themselves. A lot of people have a belief that if I don't have a nationals this year, we're going to die as a, as a club. And I'm just being a little dramatic. I just think that there's a re more responsibility on clubs. Like you said, maybe controlling uh, players on the field, just giving more responsibility to club leadership. Well, and, as far as when we were talking about horse welfare, like, yeah. you know, where is it that you learn how to behave on the field? Where is it that you learn that your treatment of your horse maybe needs to be readjusted or rethought? Yeah. I think that, yeah. that, you know, that comes um, from your club. But I will tell you that just, I don't know, within the last week, I've had two people contact me about playing that have never played before. They saw photographs that were connected to some other photographs I had up and they were like, you know, hey, what are you doing here? Uh, I have a horse that I think would like this. And so I'm already looking at my calendar and I'm thinking, well, if the weather's good the 28th to 29th, we can host a practice right after Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you were here for our weather. I mean, it, yeah. is, it is glorious right now. Oh, gosh. You can see. There's no yeah. snow. There's the ground. Oh. So there's no snow. So we, we can play all winter. With respect to the future of the sport, for me, personally, for my family, for my property, for the club, I still, looking at the calendar, seeing when I can set up to ride again. <laughs> when I, and every time I think that I'm, I'm going to be like, oh, you've done this for eight years, it's probably you know, not going to continue. And then I think, you know, are my white wraps clean? 
first Joe's bell boots. I still find so much joy in being on the field. And I know other people that have been playing a lot longer than, than me have appreciated this. For example, I brought up Karen and Charles's kids, you know, Parker and Lexi. I know from watching my own children that it will not be too long before those kids are sharking around that field, stealing my ball and whacking my racket. And there'll be a year where I'll let, they'll let them hit it, right? And then there'll be another year where I can't get them off of me. <laughs> you know, and, and to me, like that, again, is going to keep me coming back. So there's, right. there, there's a way for the sport to, to welcome everybody. Everyone has to have civility and respect for the fact that different people have different goals and that different horses will find their place in the sport. Not everybody has to have a high dollar, a high dollar horse to enjoy the game. And the enjoyment of it is, is what it just what is, keeps me playing ball. This has been great. I know you want to get riding. I do know that there's just so many great nuggets and I appreciate you sharing your experience. Uh, we could go on and on and on. But I think that just the way you approach the sport with uh, the way that you respect horses, the way that you think about family, um, your attitude, you just contributed so much to the APA. I'm trying to make you blush, but I can't. You're very reasonable. You're very dedicated. You're very passionate. And I just hope that someone listening to this podcast will relate to that. They'll appreciate the person that's doing that in their life with Polo Cross, maybe a little bit more. You know, thank you a lot for, for giving me this time. Well, thanks, Ryan. And, and I can't blush because 25 years in the ER took the blush right out of me. Uh, <laughs> I will tell you again, like full disclosure, like you, have, you and I only met, what, about a year and a half ago, I guess? Yeah. Two years yeah. Ago, right. And so you're getting to know me on the, on the, the six years that came before these eight years. And I think the sport has sometimes rubbed the rough edges off of me because I the motivation to play has hopefully shaped me as a property owner as a participant I would like to continue to be a better host than I was the time before you know and, right. and that that's a neat kind of thing to look forward to but thank you I really enjoyed it I can't talk this much about polar cross with my husband at home that's why I had to come off of the property and do it <laughs> <laughs> like my god if she's not talking about the pandemic she's talking about polo girls <laughs> <laughs> well i expect a handbook that you're going to create on building a club family oriented we'll call it polo cross is fun whatever you want to call it you just Thanks. made it sound work you know i'm against work <laughs> <laughs> it'll be an audio book it'll just be an audio book. all right well have fun Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Merry Christmas to you guys and to everyone listening uh, in Polo Cross. Let's all look forward to seeing each other in the new year. We need this year to be put behind us. We still have a lot of work to do as a globe. You know, the, the pandemic is not a past tense experience right now. So please, you know, if you take anything away from this conversation, it's, it's that I, I absolutely implore you to think about your aerosols, to limit your time in shared, in shared air. So if you're in an eight by 10 tack room and you're not wearing a mask and three other people are in there, open the window, open the door. Virus loves still air. And so uh, you, want, uh, you want your air to always be moving. When we're at Polo Cross, we're relatively safer because we have discovered that the virus is not so much about fomites. It's not so much about that you handed me a crop that had one virus on it. It's more about the fact that we um, have shared air and that puts us at higher risk when we're indoors. So uh, I'm really, really hopeful for the first time since uh, the vaccine's rolled out and is, and is getting on across the globe that we will all see each other again 
hopefully by the fall of, of 2021 and be able to put this behind us. And I can't wait. All right. All you right. have a good night. Good Thanks night. a lot. Right. Good night, Ryan. Bye-bye. Cheers. Cheers to you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode. Stacy is so wonderful because of the contributions she makes to the sport. Her motivations are honorable and pure. She wants to be the example for and catalyst of a horse-centered family fun sport. Cheers to you, Stacy. Yo, I need your help on two things. Firstly, I'm trying to make a master calendar of polo cross tournaments for 2021. Please send me them as your associations create them. I'd not only like to use this calendar to announce the upcoming polo cross tournaments, but I'd also like your tournament results recorded on my sidebar voicemail button on my website. Wouldn't it be cool to have your tournament results announced on the podcast? Let's recognize the success of our players and shrink polo cross world, yo. Secondly, I'm trying to gather some marketing data, trying to get associations membership numbers from 2017 to 2019 broken down by senior and junior members i reached out to each association with very little feedback how many players are there in the polo cross world do you know thanks in advance for your help please email me at ryan at polocrossmadesimple.com or leave me a voicemail polocrossmadesimple.com by clicking the sidebar voicemail button. Thank you very much. Here on Chugga Talk, we appreciate your feedback. Have you enjoyed the show? Do you have questions or comments? Please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. For a chance to be featured on the show, leave a voicemail by finding the send voicemail sidebar button on polocrossmadesimple.com. For more Polo Cross coaching, go to polocrossmadesimple.com. You'll find ebooks on how to become a great player and even on how to become a great coach. Find me on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a good one.